Good morning to you. It's great to see you this morning. If we don't know each other, my name is Thomas, and it's my great joy to thanks, bro, to serve as a college pastor here at Providence. I'm so glad uh, to see you this morning. I'd like to give a special welcome to guests and visitors in the house with us this morning. Really glad that you're here. Also, a uh, special welcome to those of you joining us in the amphitheater and via the live stream this morning. We're happy to have you studying God's Word with us as well. This morning we're going to be continuing a teaching series in the book of Romans. So I invite you to find your Bible and open up to Romans. For those of you who are uh, perhaps new to Bible, Romans is in the New Testament. That's the right part of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should be able to find one um, under the chair in front of you, somewhere around. Maybe you could look on with a friend, snuggle up and make a neighbor this morning. And um, we're going to be in chapter 3. So as you're thumbing around, uh, those big numbers that you see scattered throughout uh, the pages, those are chapter numbers. And we're going to study verses 21 to 31 this morning. Those are the smaller numbers that you'll see as you're turning around. So Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. Before we jump into this text and uh, see what we can learn from it, The best thing we could do is simply to pause and ask God to speak to us from this word this morning. So would you do that with me? Let's just pause with a word of prayer. With our heads bowed, I just invite you to ask God to speak to you from this word this morning. Father, your word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So, Father, in this moment, we ask that you would cause that to come about all across this room. Father, bring faith for the believers here in the house this morning. Father, enlarge the borders of our hearts and fill us with with more faith and more awareness of who you are, help us to believe. Father, for friends, guests, found their way in here this morning, Father, we pray that you would give them faith as they hear the word of God now. So, Father, work, accomplish thousands of things through this moment, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. I really encourage you just to follow along as I read this because I'm just about to talk about what it says, okay? So you might be bored if you don't. Here we go. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. 
Or is God the God of Jews only? Is, is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then over, overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Friends, this last week, it was a great joy of mine to lead a team of 10 college students to visit our church plant partnership called Trinity Life Church in the city of Toronto. And as you're looking at me this morning and I'm looking at you, if you see some redness in my eyes, I promise you it's all legal, right? I was with these people all week, okay? Slept more in the last two nights than I did in the first week, right? So intense. We had the best time traveling around the city of Toronto. We served the pastor families of this church. We did life with people who are part of this community. We served the needs of the city. And we spent our week trying to teach people the story of the Bible, trying to tell people about Jesus. And Providence, I want you to know, I am, I am so grateful that you, you, sent a team of 10 college students to Toronto. Over the last week, many of our students served God in a variety of different contexts. Um, many of them went down to Panama City Beach not to go crazy at spring break, but to talk about Jesus at spring break with our ministry partnership of crew. Many went to Atlanta. Others are in South America. Others are leaving today for the next week. And I just want you to know, God, God is doing his work through this church. I want you to know, I'm, I'm grateful for you. Your prayers and your giving release this kind of activity into the world. So know that I'm thankful for that. I want you to know, as we engaged in conversations over this last week in Toronto, we learned that everyone from Raleigh to Toronto and everywhere else, everyone is living according to a certain story. Everyone is living to a certain view of the world. They have their own view about what life is all about, what this world is all about. And the thing about these stories that people believe, these worldviews, these religions, these stories that people live is that it shapes the kind of people that they are. Part of our work this last week was teaching people the story of the Bible. And this happened in startup conversations, riding on streetcars with strangers. This happened as we stopped people in the middle of the street, sometimes literally in the middle of the street. This happened as we mixed it up with church families and got to know their friends and neighbors. And we try to teach them the story of the Bible. And the Bible contains one big story. Yeah, this, this book with all of these pages and all of these smaller stories, it contains one big overarching story that tells us what has gone wrong with the human race, what God has done to make it right through Jesus Christ. It, the Bible tells us how all of history is going to turn out. And as a result, the Bible tells us how we should live in the middle of this story. Quite simply, the Bible shapes our living. Today, I want to help you. I want to help your life be shaped by this word. You see, part of the purpose of the book of Romans is to sum up the whole story of the Bible in one concise book. The author of Romans is a guy named Paul. Paul used to be a really religious guy. He was a guy who tried to make God love him by the things that he did for God. Paul met Jesus, and Jesus changed Paul. 
And that same Jesus that changed Paul wants to encounter you and me through this word and change us as well this morning. You see, Paul went from being a really religious guy that tried to do a lot of things and tried to put together an awesome resume and offer that to God so God would look at him and say, oh, Paul, you're amazing. And God would love Paul. Paul encountered something with Jesus and in his whole world, his whole worldview changed. And we get, and we get to listen in on, on what happened to, to Paul. The same thing can happen to us. Quite simply, I want our lives to be shaped by the story that we pick up here on in verses 21 to 31. So as we look in on verses 21 to 31, there are three phrases that are constantly repeated and constantly related to one another. We're going to see these themes of justified by faith and Jesus Christ repeated over and over again. And quite simply, there's a lot going on here. And I know what it's like to sit here and try to hang on to the guy when he's trying to teach you the word. So I want to sum up everything in this chapter in one simple phrase for you. If you could get this one big idea, you'll really get what I'm trying to tell you this morning. And the idea is this. God justifies sinners by faith in the blood of Jesus. God justifies sinners by faith in the blood of Jesus. This morning, I want to talk to you about this one idea, and I'm going to approach it with a number of different questions to help us understand what's going on here. First, we'll consider, well, what is it that God does? We'll see that God justifies sinners. Then we'll ask the question, well, how does God do it? We'll see God justifies sinners by faith. And we'll say, well, who does God do this through? Is this, is this me? No, we'll see God justifies sinners by faith in the blood of Jesus. So three questions, three truths just for you this morning. So our lives may be shaped by this story. The first one I want you to write down is this. What does God do? God justifies sinners. God justifies sinners. Paul uses some words that are really important, but the potential problem is they may seem foreign to us. And my goal in this message for you this morning is to be as simple as possible in explaining these words and explaining these themes to you. Paul is saying here, and he has been saying for two chapters that we've studied over the last couple of months, that we need righteousness. The problem with that is that we don't have it. Paul's saying you need something. And he's also saying and you don't have it. You need it, you don't have it, and you can't get access to it. So let's think about this word righteousness. It seems to be really important. What is the word righteousness? You could think of righteousness as a performance record that gets you access. Righteousness is a performance record that gets you access to something. And let me illustrate what I mean by this. If you're applying for a job, you put together your best performance record right? You get together your work experience, you get together your schooling experience, you get together all this information about who you are and what you've done. And then you compile it and you offer it up to the boss or whoever's offering the job. And with that, you say, look, this is everything I've done. You should accept me. I deserve this position. Or perhaps you're applying for an advanced degree at a college or something. What do you do there? Well, you get your best of records together. You get your transcripts. Perhaps you had to take the GRE or some type of other writing exam. You compile that as best as you can. You put together your performance record, and you offer it to the admissions council. You say, see, look, look at everything that I've done. You should accept me. 
in these cases and in so many others, we are always in the habits of offering our best record and with it saying, I'm worthy of this position. You should accept me. Here's what the Bible teaches. God's perfect standard, which is the law, demands a perfect record, which is righteousness. God's perfect standard, the law, demands a perfect record, which is righteousness. Everyone is trying to live perfectly in order to achieve some type of standard. Friends, every religion, every worldview, every story, those that have existed throughout all of time and those that people just simply make up throughout the course of their lives, every single one of them has some type of standard that people are set on achieving. Every religion in the world agrees that it takes perfection to achieve a perfect performance record. If you've been hanging with us for the last couple months, you've studied Romans chapters 1 and 2. Part, some, some, of, some of the stuff has been pretty heavy for us. It's been pretty hard. Because it's made one point glaringly clear. This perfect standard of the law, it takes an absolutely perfect life to, to fulfill. It takes righteousness. And Paul has been painfully clear with us that we do not have it. It's bad news. It's bad news. If it ends here, it's a terrible, it's a terrible day. It's a terrible life, right? But there's good news. Paul says God provides the perfect record through Jesus and freely gives it to us. This is going to encourage us today. Justification is what happens when God declares a sinner righteous only, solely, only through faith in Jesus Christ. We are entirely passive in the process of justification. God is the actor and you and me are acted upon. The good news this morning for us is that God wants to do for us that we could never do for ourselves. And this is radical. I want you to feel how radical this is. This is strange. Look at verse 21. Paul comes along and says, For the first and for the last time in human history, an unheard of performance record has been revealed from heaven. He doesn't say this is a good record. He doesn't say this is a great record. He says this is a divine record. He says this is a record that you've never heard of before. This is a righteousness from God that's not showing up somewhere on earth like somebody finally figured it out. Somebody finally lived it. He's saying this one's coming down from heaven. Remember what Paul is doing. He's trying to engage the church in Rome to participate in the mission of God. He's trying to remind a lot of believers. Think about what you've been saved for. Think about what God wants to do with your life. See, friends, we need to be reminded of this because we know we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but we can slip into this thinking that that Christian living might depend on us. It couldn't be more far from what the Bible says. You see, friends, we're not our own. We've been bought with price. And we are to live as servants of our Savior. So, so this is it. God justifies us. We don't justify ourselves before God. God lives the standard of the law with the perfect record of righteousness for us. And Paul wants to be so clear with this to us 
that he goes as far in Romans chapter 4, what we're going to study next week, to say God justifies the ungodly. Therefore, there's nothing in you or me that's the basis of our justification. This is sheer grace. Like, God looked at us. God looked at you, and he wanted to do something awesome for you. Not because we could give anything to him, but because he's loving. He loves us not for who we are. He loves us in spite of who we are. This is radical. This, I mean, this is radical. This is news you can take to Toronto, and this is news that you can take around the world. Because every religion other than Christianity teaches, you have to create the record. You have to go live that record. You have to bring it to God. You have to offer it up to God. Christianity is the only thing in the world that says God lived the record for you. God brings the record to you. God offers the record. And it can only be received with these empty hands of faith. This is utterly unique. This is utterly different. And we don't deserve it. So just, just be encouraged, friends. Be encouraged. You're not saved by performance. You're saved by faith. That's our next point this morning. How does God do it? How does God do this? How does God do it? God justifies sinners by faith. God justifies sinners by faith. Let's consider what faith isn't by considering what faith is by considering what faith isn't. It's an interesting way of looking at it, but it's exactly what Paul wants to do in Romans 3 and 4, so that's what we'll venture into this morning. What is faith by considering what it's not? In Romans chapters 3 and 4, Paul contrasts faith and boasting. You see this, would you look with me in uh, chapter 3 verse 27? You see it right there. And then look over at chapter 4 verse Two, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Okay, so Paul's doing something unique. We don't see this all the time. We, we see it right here, though. Paul wants you to understand what faith is by considering what faith isn't. And he's going to talk about the concept of boasting. The opposite of boasting is faith. We are justified by faith in the blood of Jesus. Therefore, we have nothing to boast about in our Selves. So what is boasting? The big idea that we need to wrestle with this morning, we're going to think about next week as we gather in here to study this good word. Boasting was a ritual that you engaged in before battle. Now I think of Braveheart, right? I think of how William Wallace and company, you know, encouraged his troops. But when you think about this, how do you, how do you give ancient military warfare guys wearing leather skirts confidence, right? I mean, if you're this guy, how are you going to pump these brothers up? I mean, it's a bunch of farmers wearing all kinds of like leather gear, and they're looking at this army over here. How in the world are you going to pump them up? You boast. You boast. You tell them what we're going to go do. You tell them we're going to ride down there and we're going to get that king and we're going to cut his head off and we're going to put it on the stick. And all the men in leather skirts are like, yeah, let's go do it. You know, that's what you do. You pump them up. Football players in the locker room before they hit the field, you boast. You pump each other up. You fire each other up. You tell each other how good you are and what you're about to go do. You go out there. You boast. You try to live it out. It's a ritual that God's engaged in before Bible, before Bible, before battle. I can't talk. Y'all, I'm from Alabama. It's all coming out. Sleep depth is setting in. Y'all hang on. It could get crazy. 
It's fascinating that the Bible takes such a popular concept as boasting and utilizes it to teach us something. The Bible doesn't teach that boasting is wrong. It might seem that way, but it doesn't. The Bible doesn't teach that boasting is wrong. The Bible teaches that boasting in the wrong thing is wrong. The Bible says it's okay to boast. You just got to find the right object to receive it. See, friends, everyone makes their boast in something. This is what God teaches us in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. Don't worry, it's going to pop up on the big Bibles on the screen. It says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. There's our word, righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Friends, don't miss the truth. God created us to make our boast in something. God created you. He created me to make our boast in something. The Hebrew word for boasting is halel. H-A-L-E-L. It's the same word we get hallelujah from. Our word for praise. Can we say the word together? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't do that enough when we preach, right? We need to keep that going. Everyone is praising something or someone with their lives. Every soul is looking at something and saying, oh, this, this right here, this is why I matter. Every soul finds its Hillel in something. Everyone you know finds their boast, finds their validation, sings their praise to something. And our city is full of people who make their boast in something other than God. Our city is full of people who might know of God's record, who know of God's standard, or they might create their own, and they might try to live their own life of perfection. And our city is full of people who will never make it. And God is calling us to go to people who bow down to other people and other things, and to talk about Jesus with them, and to plead with them. We can't be perfect. Friends, that's why we need Jesus. And it's not simply enough to know about Jesus. Mental assent to Jesus is not enough. You must trust him in faith. To prove that no one has the right to boast, Paul mentions Abraham. Was Abraham justified by, justified by works? Think about it. Abraham was an awesome guy. Abraham was a good dude. He did good things for a lot of people. Abraham was the leader of God's people. Abraham lived a really, really good life. Abraham trusted God. Abraham did all kinds of amazing things. And Abraham was not justified by works. Abraham was justified by faith in God. Think about the logic. This is what Paul is encouraging you to wrestle with this morning. Was Abraham justified by works? No. That would have been the ultimate form of boasting. Abraham, of all the dudes that ever lived, could go to God and say, look what I've done for you, God. You owe me, right? That's insane. God, that's that's the highest form of boasting, to be able to go to God and say, look what I've done for you. You owe me. Friends, this is why faith is absolutely necessary in order to be justified before God. Five times in the last four verses of this chapter, Paul says that God makes people right as they trust Jesus in faith. Have you ever thought of the word faith as an acrostic where each, each letter of the word stands for something else? Forsaking all, I trust him. 
That's what faith is. Faith means absolute trust in Jesus. Faith is grounding our identities in Jesus. It's finding our praise in Jesus. It's seeing Jesus, looking to Jesus, and saying, finally, this, this is why my life matters. Created in his image, preserved in my sin, saved by his blood, given purpose in this world, this is enough for me. This is why my life matters matters. Everyone wants to have their life life based around something. And faith allows you to boast in the cross. Remember what Paul is doing. Paul is urging the church to consider, what do you talk about? Do you talk about what you've done for God? Do you talk about what God has done for you? Remember, we are not justified by what we do for God. There's nothing in us to boast about. We are justified by faith in what God has done for us. So Paul reminds us to look to God, to find our hallelujah, to find our boast, to find our validation there. So if you're tracking with this, you're starting to think, okay, hold on, man. God justifies sinners. God justifies sinners by faith. This doesn't seem like it has anything to do with me. We're like, no, it does. Like we have to exercise faith in God, but the Bible's gonna tell us later on in Romans that even faith is a gift, so we can't even boast about our ability to exercise faith. Well, who, do, who does God do this through? What's going on? Who does God do it through? God justifies sinners by faith in the blood of Jesus. Specifically, what should we have faith in? Paul tells us that we don't simply need to believe in God, but that we need to have faith in the blood of Jesus. Think about this with me, friend. We can have faith in the blood of Jesus because God has provided propitiation, a really important word we're just going to meditate on for a few moments, propitiation for our sins. When you think about the perfect record that Jesus lived, you can almost get yourself to a place where we come in here every week and we study this. And we go up to classrooms and we study it some more. And then we meet throughout the week and we study it some more. We can almost trick ourselves into thinking, oh, we kind of deserve this. Or it had to go down like this when it didn't. Friends, when we think about the perfect record that Jesus lived for us, it's an amazing thing. It's It's a beautiful thing. But none of us None of us just get to reach out there and grab it. That is a record that must be provided for to you. That is a record that God has to make available. God has to grant us access to that record. And here's how he does it. Through propitiation. God provides propitiation. Jesus paid the debt to justice with his blood. Propitiation means to turn away wrath, to appease and to satisfy anger. And here's the issue with with God and us. Jesus has the perfect record, but we can't access it if God is still angry with us because of our sin. The greatest news you've ever heard is right here this morning. The Lord Jesus pays the debt to justice himself. We need Jesus' record, and propitiation gives us access to it. So if we could think on this phrase, Jesus paid the debt to justice with his 
blood. Let me help you think about what this means for you and me. First, Jesus paid the debt. Think about it. If someone robs you or someone harms you, there are two ways that you can make that. Per- that there are two things that you can do. First, you can find a way to hurt that person back. Yeah, I mean, the cops arrest them. They come in. It's like, okay, what do you want to do? I want punishment. Yeah, you make that person pay. Pay bad for bad. Or you can choose to suffer yourself. That's taking care of the debt by paying for it yourself. Think of it like this. If, If you come over to my house, right? I'm grilling some burgers for us, right? And my wife is fixing those really good, like, asparagus bundles wrapped in prosciutto with the balsamic vinegar on top, right? I don't know how that goes with burgers. It just sounds good right now, right? I haven't slept in five days, so it just sounds amazing, right? And just imagine, we're hanging out after dinner, um, and, and all of a sudden, like, you turn, and your elbow knocks over the lamp, right? And I'm like, oh, the lamp. And my wife is like, oh, the lamp. And I'm like, this is not, not a big deal. Don't worry about it, bro. You know? And you look at the lamp, and there's two ways we can deal with the lamp. One, I can look at you and say, listen, man, that was an awesome lamp. I'm going to need 40 bucks to, like, go buy another one, right? Or I can look at you and say, you know what? It's fine. You don't worry about it. I'm going to absorb the debt myself. Think about what this means for us spiritually. Either way, the debt cannot simply be willed away. Someone's got to pay, and they got to pay through suffering. So Jesus paid the debt to justice. Jesus went to the cross to absorb the wrath that God had towards sinners. A lot of people think, right? A lot of people think. This is becoming popular now. It's going to become more popular in the years ahead. Oh, why can't we just be loving and merciful? That's the most whacked out thing you've ever heard. Think about it. It's being loving and it's being merciful that eventually makes you angry. Think about it, friend. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is. And the height of hate is indifference. So consider, if God wasn't filled with love, if God wasn't filled with goodness, he just wouldn't care about us. So do you shrink back at the thought of God getting wrathful and God getting angry? It's because God loves It's because there's something motivating that inside of him. So the thought, why can't we just be loving and merciful? The only problem with that is you're eventually going to get angry if you're you're loving and merciful. And God isn't indifferent towards you. God gets hot towards you in your sin. And that's why he sends Jesus to save you in your sin. You see, if you're loving, you get upset. And God is so loving that God gets upset at sin. So Jesus paid the debt to justice with his blood. That's how it happened. That's how we get access. You see it in verse 25. God himself did this. When Jesus came, he didn't ask for your blood. When Jesus came, he didn't come looking for you and me and ask for blood. He came to you and me and offered his own. And think about what this means. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. He is so holy that he could not just forgive sin. He could not just overlook sin. He is so holy that he had to suffer for sin. It cost him blood. Friends, forgiveness is free to you and me, and forgiveness is very expensive to God. This is pricely, pricely stuff that we're talking about. 
So, because of Jesus' death, this is what Paul is saying. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, God is both the just, he retains his holiness through all of this, and he is the justifier. He is the one who dealt with the consequences of sin. And this is the only news that can change our hearts. And again, again, we must be careful to remember, what is he up to? Like, why tell us this? Like, we get this, bro. Like, I know what you're saying. I know what I believe. He tells us this. God gets this to us because he wants Christians to know so their hearts may be continually changed as they remember the great things that God has done for them. This is the story that our lives are a part of. The kind of story that we're a part of shapes the kind of people that we are. Also, this message comes to people who are not Christians as an invitation to turn from sin, to repent, and to trust in God, to believe. So, this is Romans 3, 21 to 31. God justifies sinners by faith in the blood of Jesus. And as we get ready to start wrapping this up, I just invite you to consider, how do we know we've received this justification? How do you know you've received it? I mean, this, this is amazing, right? That God wants to do this for you. How can you know this is yours? How can you know you got it before you hit the door to leave. There's a simple move we need to make. It's simple but profound. We need to stop looking at our sins and to start looking at what we boast in. You yourself, you need to stop looking at your sins and start looking at what you boast in. Here's the problem with church culture throughout Western culture, the way that we do church in North America. You know the problem. You've probably experienced the problem or seen the problem before, and the problem goes like this. People transition into church as a baby. I think it's a great thing, right? My wife just did that with our daughter, Perry. She brought Perry to church again. They transition out of church as youth when they're able to drive and start making more decisions for themselves. Only to transition back into church Maybe sometime during college or as a young adult to start to seek some help and some healing for the problems that they picked up and accumulated over the last couple of years of their life. Only to transition out again when they have some sense of peace or rival. Only to transition back in a couple of years later when you got to figure out, man, marriage after seven years is super stressful and I got two kids and I don't know what to do and you come back to seek help. People transition in and out like this, and and you might be on your way in or on your way out this morning. When you focus on your sin instead of focusing on what you boast in. Friends, we should stop looking at our sin and start looking at what we boast in. Let me explain. Stop looking at your sin. I'm not saying I don't want you to worry about your, your sin. Nobody tweet that this morning, okay? Don't go there. Don't go there, right? I'm saying we need to look beyond our sins to something else. We need to look beyond our sins to our boast. I want you to look beyond your wrongs to what you find validation in. I want you to look beyond your wrongs to what you look at and what you behold. And life matters because of this. I want you to look at that. So consider a few questions to help get us there. Is your heart constantly filled with sorrow over sin? See, a Christian is someone who is justified freely by faith in the blood of Jesus. So consider this with me, friend. Religious people worry about their sin. They're worried about their sin because it stains their resume. 
It stains their record. But at the end of the day, they're still Pharisees. Are you worried about your record? You need to consider, are you sorry about your sin because you're trying to be perfect? Question, is your heart constantly repenting of sin and rejoicing in Jesus? I think this is where our hearts should be. This happens as we stop looking at our sin. Yeah, we're worried about it. We're concerned, but we're going to look beyond it. We're going to consider, like, if, if the sins are the fruits, we're going to try to get down there in the root system and consider, like, what is this attached to? Like, what's going on? This is where we look at our justification. We look at what makes us feel worthwhile. What makes you think, this validates me. This is why Paul can say, what happens to boasting? Free justification destroys it. There's nothing else to boast in than Christ and what he did for us on the cross. So I want you to find what you find your identity in. And if there you find God, then rejoice. And if there you don't find God, take heart. You can repent. You can come up here at the end of this gathering. You can talk to one of these leaders that are going to be gathered around. We can help you find healing and identity in Jesus. How do you get this righteous record? You only get this righteous record by faith in the blood of Jesus. Romans 3 and 4 could be restated in a single verse that Paul wrote later in Scripture, and it's Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is revolutionary stuff. Every religion in the world tells you to prepare a righteous record and to bring, bring it to God. And the story of the Bible is the only story that you will ever find that says... God made that righteous record and he brings it down and he wants to freely give it to you as a gift. But you have to come with the empty hands of faith. You can't come to it with all these other things, with your records and your resumes and try to offer those to God. It doesn't work like that. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You have to come to him and receive this in faith. When you trust Jesus in faith, it will change what you boast in and will change what you live your life around. So two concluding points and we're done. When you boast in the cross of Christ, two things can be possible for you in your life. First, you can look at the world and you can know that the world doesn't control you anymore. Many of us come in here feeling that. We feel the shackles of the world and we want liberation. You can have liberation as you find your identity in the cross of Christ. You look at the world and you see a bunch of good things that now they don't have to be the ultimate things in your life. You can look at the world and you can see a bunch of things that you used to find your identity in and you don't have to find your identity in there anymore because you found a greater identity, you found a greater hope, you found a greater love, you've heard a better story. You can trust in it. You can demythologize things that once held you in a trance like a child looking at a cartoon character. Many of us, we go to the mall, we stand at the makeup counter. <laughs> we see the car commercial come on TV and we look like our kids staring at this stuff. We can demythologize these things. No, you don't rule over me. No, you don't have me anymore. Because you can also demote the things that once ruled over you. And this only happens as you boast in the cross of Christ. And lastly, you can stop living for yourself and you can start living for God. You can be freed up. You can be freed up. You don't have to run the rat race anymore. The American cultural story goes like this. The goal of life is to get all you can can all you get and at the end of the day you sit on your can and you can be freed of that we should boast we should find our identity in something 
And it doesn't have to be the cultural story that we live in. It can be this biblical story that is radically different and radically better. We should, found, we should find the grounding of our identities at the cross. The story that we find ourselves in, it shapes the kind of people that we are. The American story makes us a selfish and unsatisfied people. The biblical story makes us selfless and satisfied people. At the end of the day, the Bible simply has a better story than you or anything in this world has ever heard of. As you find your identity in the cross, you can stop living for yourself and you can start living for God. And here's how it happens. You see Jesus on the cross, refusing to live for himself and giving everything that he had to live for you. This is the only stuff that's going to change hearts. This is the only news that will not only save a people to be a church, but will keep that church saved to live on mission with God in this world. Looking at God, giving up his rights, giving up his wealth, giving up his riches to fight for you. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray. Father, we see it in this text and we want it to be true for us. Help us to find our identity in you. Father, for people in here trying to justify themselves, Father, it's exhausting. Pray that you'll just help us to give up and will help us to just receive the work that you've already done for us in Jesus. Father, we've got to sing our praise to something. You simply made us to be that way. Father, very simply, we ask that you would help us to sing our praise to you. Would you be what matters most to us? Would you be what we find our identity in, who we know we're justified by, and who we sing our praise to? We ask in Jesus' name.